Hello, True Matters listeners. This is Mikhail, and I have a really exciting guest with me today. Laria is somebody that I know both personally and professionally, and I have been so excited to get her on the podcast since I started it. So welcome, Laria. And I just wanted to give a little kind of intro about Laria. So she's a Boise, Idaho native, as am I, but she's currently living in Louisiana with her husband and her adorable daughter. Her husband is stationed for the U.S. Air Force. She currently works in the marketing and digital engagement space and has recently earned her Master's of Science in Organizational Leadership. What, what? When she's not working, she loves spending time with family and friends and tackling her constantly growing want to read book stack. Hi, Laria. Thank you for joining. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, as am I. Um, so we'll just hop right in. Tell me how your year has started off. If you have any good insights, have you read anything good lately? Do you have anything you've used to set the tone of the year? Tell me everything. Oh, yes. I mean, this year has already flown by. I can't believe we're halfway through January already. It feels like we just never have enough time. I kicked off my year reading Michelle Obama's new book, The Light We Carry. It was so good. I loved that I started off my year with that book. I felt like it had so many messages for me, the way I wanted to reframe the way I thought about some things. Specifically, I love that she talked about gladness and gladness for self. And it was such a beautiful concept of being just as happy to see yourself as you are to see your best friends. And I'm trying to bring that into my everyday. I love that. I feel like when somebody that's one of my favorite people in the world walks in the front door of my house, I can't help but light up and be almost like unintentionally, I guess, like like it's out of my control almost that I'm just so excited to see those people. And I think that it's such a powerful notion to think about looking in the mirror and feeling that same way about ourselves. It's I'm, I'm guilty of not being so right. stoked to see myself when I look in the mirror. So um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how has that looked for you? Or what have you done to actually change your perspective when you see yourself? I think you put it perfectly the way you see your friends and the people that you care about when they enter a room or you're reconnecting for lunch or a coffee date, your heart gets happy. You're immediately so glad to see them. And the things that I am the most excited to see about the people closest to me have nothing to do with their physical appearance, their achievements at work, uh, what projects they're doing. It is everything about who they are personally, uh, their spirit and their true self, if you will. And so that's kind of the gladness I want to see for myself. I think it's really easy to physically look in a mirror and pick yourself apart or physically look at your accomplishments and decide they don't weigh what you want them to. But instead, I've tried to look inward and think I'm a really good friend. I am a good mom, a good wife a good member of my community. And those are things that I can be glad about myself and um, reignite myself to want to share more of. I love that so much. I think that's just 
that's an incredible perspective to take and gift to give ourselves and those around us. I think something I've recently leaned into a little bit is asking the people that I love and care about where my blind spots are, like, you know, whether it be personally or professionally, but this just gave me the idea as well that maybe there are moments that we don't need so much to focus on what we can improve and work on, but like maybe asking the people we care about and we feel really seen by, how would you describe me to somebody that didn't know me? Or what would you say are the things that you love the most about me or um, appreciate the most about me. And that can even give us a launching point on those days where we can't get past maybe that physical reflection in the mirror. And we can turn that mirror inward and ask those that we love and that see us kind of, um, what are some of the things that I can feel glad about when it comes to myself? And then I think what we look for, we find. So the more that we practice that, the more we are able to start seeing those things, you know, maybe without having to work as hard, which is yes. a beautiful thing. So. And so you probably do have blind spots, but your blind spots are about the things that make you uniquely great, not Absolutely. about the blind spots of things you need to improve. Absolutely. Like, what are the blind spots of how awesome I am? Can you tell me what am I missing? <laughs> What's perfect about me that I'm not uh, seeing? I love that. Um, so I would love to jump in a little bit too. And, and can you just tell me a bit about kind of your career background and then how you ended up where you are um, and what sort of helped you get there? Yes, of course. My work journey, my career has taken a really twisty, fun route. Uh, after high school, I didn't jump right to college. I went to Ukraine for about six months and just volunteered and taught English. I came back, went to cosmetology school. And that's when I realized, oh, there were things that I loved about working with people that I wanted to go to college for. So I went to Utah State, go Aggies. And um, when I graduated, there was about the time that my husband joined the Air Force. And I was working as a contractor at the time. I think I was making minimum wage. And this military town that we had moved to was really difficult for me to find work. I felt like I was applying to a hundred places and nobody was calling me back. And it was a really rough time. And one of my really close friends who works in the tech marketing space reached out to me and said, I feel like you are wasting potential by not um, growing your career. And there's all these things that I know that you are going to be good at. And there's an opening in my marketing department. I think you should apply for it. And so I did, and I started um, working for this tech company in their on their marketing team. And I learned so much and I grew quicker than I ever could. And since then, I've just felt like my career has continued to kind of grow in the similar space. Um, and like you said, I um, finished my master's at the beginning of last year. And so I am just trying to learn. And so I'm, I still feel quite early in my career. I don't feel like I know it all. I don't feel like I even know a, a quarter of what I need to know. Um, but I think that beginning of my career, starting off with that friend who I value so much, reaching out to me in that way and seeing that potential for me, really set the stage for what my career was going to be for the rest of my life. And it feels like every page, not only of my career, but of my life is lined with the women who have carried me through everything. And um, 
I think that that is something that I've really tried to recognize and feel so appreciative of is just the magnitude of impact that as woo-woo as it sounds to say things like the unity of sisterhood and women uniting, but that's really such a huge foundation of my life. Wow. That's amazing. I think that there is often this kind of air about women in leadership of kind of muscling your way in or stepping on people to get where you need to be. You have to prove yourself. You have to do all of these things to um, maybe even be more masculine, bring a different energy. And I think what you just shared speaks so much to the fact that there is like a femininity in leadership and there's an ability to listen and ability to see people um, I think we go so far when we can pause and just look outside of our own perspective, which to me is such a kind of divine, gentle, beautiful sisterhood, like you said. And I think sometimes it feels like we can get lost in the, in the notion of proving ourselves. But if we can pause and like bond together and lift each other up and realize that it's so much better to just be ourselves and let other people be their selves. Um, I don't know. There's just so much more authenticity in that. And, and I love what you shared about every, you know, page and chapter has these strong women in leadership because that is how we learn our skills, get to where we end up and then being able to actually look back and recognize those women. And I think say, you know, we got there together, um, is so empowering. And then pretty soon you become that leader, that woman in leadership for somebody else on the next page and in the next chapter. And it's kind of this gift that keeps on giving and I think is is so incredible and something I've been really fortunate to be part of as well and something that I I want more people to experience because I think sometimes there is kind of a, a bad connotation surrounding it, you know, and, and that's it's a bummer to me because I do think there's so much beauty in that womanhood. Um, absolutely. Right. So right. And there's this emotional safety, this psychological safety. Uh, as a woman knowing, okay, I have this female coworker that I can go to, or this space at my workplace that's meant for women that I know I can rely on and get advice from. Um, but there's also an equity aspect to it. I think that it's about 70%. I, you know, we'll need to fact check this like at the end, but uh, I, I want to say it's about 70% of women will go through their career without a designated mentor. And so that means a lot of things for women and especially uh, black women and women of color who don't have those mentors. Your mentor will guide you through things that you haven't experienced yet, help you with issues that you're um, experiencing and how to overcome them. But then when you're up for promotions or when you're, working on a brief for a raise that mentor opened those doors for you so if you look historically when men mentor men who is going to get a promotion who's going to get a raise so the times that women step in in women in leadership step in to mentor other women especially black women and other women of color that is when you see that equity of women working mm -hmm. together and mm -hmm. lifting each other up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it becomes so much more systemic and something that we can look at in a way that it isn't, it isn't a one-off experience. It's like such an overarching 
need for change, but it's so exciting because it's such a welcomed and beautiful change and something that I love to see and I love to hear about. And both personally and professionally, I think it's been the women that have taught me strength, resilience, what unconditional love looks like. I think it's something that is so powerful and that sometimes it's almost so powerful that we shy away from it or we think we have Mm -hmm. to stick with how it's always been done. But I think that when we witness this change occurring, it opens so many doors and just paves this pathway that is so necessary and so beautiful and that so many people are deserving to walk and they just haven't even had the door open to them to walk through it. And so um, I love what you shared and I think it's, it's so important to talk about. Yes. Um, Kind of segueing into that. I know, you know, knowing you personally, vulnerability is a big word that you've spoken on. Um, Can you talk a little bit about vulnerability in the workplace and how being vulnerable has either improved or impacted your professional experience? Absolutely. I have a love-hate relationship with (laughs) vulnerability. I know what comes from being vulnerable. I know the rewards, if you can say, rewards for being vulnerable but it's hard and can feel really awkward, especially in places like a professional setting where we're maybe not used to being vulnerable. I think I have tried to step away from pretending like I know it all at the beginning of my career and actually finding safe places to be vulnerable and say, I'm not comfortable with this project. I know that you've worked on something similar is this something that you could help with? Or vulnerable of bringing your whole self to work and saying, I'm struggling with stuff at home right now. I, I, I just need an ear or I need to readjust what my workload looks like right now has only brought benefits and safety for me. And I think especially in a world where so many of us are working from home, our coworkers are two-dimensional to us. It is the way you and I are right now, um, heads and shoulders on a Zoom screen. And being vulnerable kind of gives a three-dimensional aspect to your coworkers when you share, and I'm not saying you have to share your most private personal things with your coworkers, but when you humanize yourself, I think it helps to strengthen our relationships at work, it makes collaborating easier because suddenly you're a real person to me that I want to collaborate with and work with rather than just this two-dimensional box waiting for our 30-minute meeting to be over. That is so true. I think one thing that I've been really thankful for with the current role that I'm in at True Footage is that we have a leader that is always willing to accept when he's made a mistake. He even leads with that. Guys, we're going to mess this up. Like we're going into a big project. We're going to mess up a lot. And just hearing that, it it humanizes him, but it gives all of us permission to be human as well. It gives us permission to take big risks, to do things that we know might not be perfect the first time around. And I think to your point, you know, it's not always easy to be vulnerable, but especially as a leader, it creates such a safety within that team structure because it shows I don't have it all figured out. And if I've learned one thing about corporate world is nobody knows what they're doing most of the time. (laughs) And so it's like the ability to acknowledge that allows people to step in and say, Ooh, I know what I'm doing here, or I can help there, or I feel safe to maybe step up with this idea here. Um, And I've had, you know, senior leaders come to me and just have really candid conversations about maybe team morale or things that just aren't going 
the way that they'd like them to go. And it's like, well, is the approach that you stand at the front and talk at them or is the approach that you sit down at the table and you talk with them? Because I think that the minute that we lead from within and we step forward and say, I'm human, I make mistakes, I'm having an off day, I've got stuff going on at home as well. You know, we, we never know when we're on this little box to your point, like what's going on right outside the other door or what's happening the minute that that meeting ends. And I think that there's such a blessing in remote work culture, but there's also the inability to like feel the energy of others sometimes or be in those moments between the meetings where somebody might be really dealing with something, whether it be a personal matter or a professional matter that's really weighing on them. And it allows us to give people grace and give ourselves grace when we are vulnerable, because like you said, it's, well, now I see that you're human and we can work together and collaborate, but also now I know you're human, so I can forgive you if you're not perfect, this perfect little robot that's supposed to perform and have all the deadlines met and get everything you know, submitted on time. It's, um, it's such a better place to, to be. And I think so much beauty is born from that because it is inauthentic to be to not be vulnerable. It really is. It's inauthentic to say when I'm at work, I don't have to be human. I think that it limits us so much. And sometimes the smallest amount of humanness goes such a long way and changes the entire course of a relationship and allows for that mentorship and friendship even to be fostered that would not have been there if somebody didn't say, hey, I apologize for the delay on this. I have some really personal pressing things going on right now. I'm not my best self in this moment. Thank you for your grace and flexibility in advance. You know, that allows an exhale to occur when if we're just gritting our teeth and trying to get it done, we don't open ourselves up to that opportunity to be vulnerable and human. So, and often it's a product of the culture that's been created and the expectations set by that leader. So do I feel safe coming to my manager and saying, I dropped the ball on this this week. I know it was due Friday. Here we are on Friday and I'm not going to finish it. Do I feel safe coming to my manager, my leader? Um, are they going to say, I get it. This is not, are, are they able to be the barometer that can gauge? This isn't a priority. I think a, a lot of corporate spaces, uh, not that your work isn't important, but I am not a first responder. I'm not saving anyone's life. This deadline maybe could be pushed a day or I could get help on this. It's not me, the general surgeon. I can lean on people and not be expected to navigate that. And a leader who sets that tone and says, bring your humanness and rely on me when it, when you need me, dictates that that whole culture yeah i i couldn't agree more i think um there are moments that i will remind myself that it, it's not life or death these problems will be here tomorrow and next week and sometimes giving ourselves the opportunity to step away from it allows us to step back into it with so much more tenacity and get things done so much better than if we just stare at the screen like a zombie until our heads spin and force ourselves to get things done by this specific deadline. Or um, I think there's a lot of work integrity issue that happens when all we're trying to do is prove how much of a workhorse we are. In the end of the day, the quality of our work matters so much more. And maybe my quality of my work is better when midday I go for a walk for 30 minutes and, and I'm not just trying to prove the grind, which again, becomes very difficult in remote culture because it's your Slack bubble's not green. You have your notifications paused. You have busy on your calendar. There's all these things that I think people witness 
and all we know is our perspective. So it's really easy to judge those things or to make assumptions when in all reality, we are all people living our lives, doing our best with what we have at that exact moment. And sometimes if we just allow ourselves to maybe stay in our own lanes and worry about ourselves, but give ourselves the grace that we would hope to be given and that we give to others, I think um, allows for actually so much more productivity and so many so much better result in the long run which is incredible because it's almost like that work smarter not harder notion that i think we kind of fail to remember sometimes and that rest and recharging is just as important <clears throat> as grinding you know so right. and i this is something i struggle with totally transparent uh, it's easy to say yes set these set these boundaries for yourself and work with your leadership team and all of this but it comes down to you as a person as well i recently had a conversation like this with my manager my manager is exceptional and she is so focused on making sure we on her team are okay first before what are you getting done what are you doing mm -hmm. we had sort of an end of year chit chat about priorities and workload and all of that. And she reminded me of the sort of analogy of life is this juggling act. And the important thing to realize is some of the things you're juggling, those balls are made of rubber and the other ones are made of glass. So at some point when your arms are tired or when things aren't going well, you can drop the rubber balls to keep the glass balls going, your mental health, your family. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I hear you, but my struggle is I think everything is a glass ball. Mm -hmm. I think sending that one email that I know I need to send, as well as being there to tuck my daughter in for bed, I think those are both glass balls. And that's a big new year reframe for me is what things actually are rubber? What can I actually let drop? And I don't need to prove the grind and I don't need to work, work, work when actually it's exhausting and not beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. I love that analogy so much. I think it kind of goes hand in hand with everything we say yes to means saying no to something else. So maybe we can actually think about the all the, the balls that seem glass and say, what would the opposing one be? So maybe sending that email Yes to the email means no to actually putting your daughter to bed or no to having five minutes uninterrupted with your husband or five minutes to yourself even that you could be that you really need in that moment. So if we think that there's a an opposing rubber ball to every glass ball that can be helpful in saying, OK, these actually are made of glass. These are the things I really want to try not to drop. But I only have so many hands. I only have so much energy in the day. And so where are the aspects, which is something to be celebrated? Where can I set a boundary? Where can I set these things down? So I have more strength to hold the things that matter the most, which is so much more important than trying to juggle everything, which we could only do, you know, with, I want to say half-assed. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but that's the only way to do it, you know? Right. So I think that at the end of the day, it's so important to figure out what we can set down and so we can actually have more strength to carry the things that really matter and that we want to prioritize. <clears throat> um, what would be advice that you would give yourself if you could go back and talk to Laria just barely entering the professional world or maybe someone now that is in transition or maybe has had a door closed they weren't expecting? Is there anything that you would like to say to her? Wow. So many things. I 
I would want myself as well as anybody at any point in their career to recognize their value. There have been too many times that I have questioned, what am I bringing to the table? What qualifies me to be here? Am I worth what they're paying me? Am I uh, learning enough? And each person is so prepared for the path that they're beginning on that be authentic in where you're at and say, I have a lot to offer and I am a really valuable member of this team. I don't know X, Y, and Z. I'm not comfortable with this thing yet, but I know I can learn it and find those people who will help you learn. And I think if I could share something that, again, I think reiterating has been the most helpful, are finding those people who know more than you or know the things you want to learn and glean as much as you can from them. And if you're a person who feels like you know some things and you see a new person on your team, reach out and offer to help. It doesn't need to be competitive. It can just be collaborative. Yes. And seeing it as the fact that we can light more lights with our own fire, or if somebody has a fire that feels like it's burning so bright, it doesn't mean that we're shining any less bright by stepping into that flame. Instead, it just can ignite us more. I think there's a lot of kind of competition, but also a deeper rooted insecurity, or maybe I'm not good enough, or or it's it feels overwhelming to be in the presence of somebody that feels like they're doing something so much better than I can do it right now. But I do think the only way we get better is by surrounding ourselves with people that we are in awe of and that we really admire because otherwise is it it's not fun to sit at the table when you're the best at every single thing and it, it could feel good. It's an ego stroke maybe for a minute for people to say, you're so great. And I I wish I could be there. But everyone had that moment of holy cow, I wish I could be where that person is. And so by surrounding ourselves with those people that just we admire and we respect and we want to emulate and we also feel a level of respect from them in return. You know, they remember what it was like to be there or there may be skills that we possess that they have always struggled with. And so I think that's the thing too, is recognizing our own worth and our own value and that we deserve a seat at the table. And it might not be for the exact reason that everyone else is there, but what a boring world if it was. Right. And the times that I truly feel the most impressed with people that I look at as knowing more is when they highlight the work of people who aren't as experienced. If there was a team project and here's the senior manager presenting on this, when you say that person's name, Mikhail owned this piece and she killed it. And this was her idea. That to me is I'm never more impressed than you're so confident in where you're at that you are grabbing everybody and pulling everybody up with you. Yes, it's so true. And to feel recognized and seen and and in an authentic way, I think sometimes there are companies that recognize the importance of that. So they put in this inauthentic way of like, I don't know, throwing shout outs in here to just like help emulate what they're trying to do. But the deeper thing is meaning it and seeing someone and actually saying and knowing again, recognizing someone else actually amplifies and and shines light on your strength as a leader it doesn't take away by acknowledging what somebody else did does not take away from what you've done and something that i think being in a small kind of startup company that a lot of us have 
run into is there is this kind of white knuckling grind at the beginning and we are barely have our eyes above water and we're trying so hard just to tread. And when more people step in and they start taking things off our plate and admittedly doing it better than we could do when we were trying to do all of it ourselves, it feels a little bit confronting because it's like, but I was doing all this. I was almost dying and my eyes were barely fluttering above the surface (laughs) of the ocean, but I was doing all of it. And now witnessing someone else take that off my plate and do it better than maybe I was doing is such a great opportunity to say, thank goodness for your help. And this is such a strength in numbers. And the success of the company is all of us put together, not one individual person. And so my acknowledgement of how appreciative I am that you've taken this off my plate and you have done an amazing job again, reflects my own ability to see that I could not do all of it alone. And, you know, we could maybe go fast if we just took it and run with it, but we could go so much further when we all delegate and figure out what we're good at and what energizes us and are not afraid to say, hey, you've done such a good job and I appreciate you and thank you for taking that off my plate. And I could not be doing it this well without you. So I think that can go so far. Absolutely. Um. So another kind of thing that I know you and I have spoken about personally, but I'd love to hear more about professionally is how you have learned to set boundaries and what are some ways that you've honored maybe your own needs by setting professional boundaries? Yes. Boundaries have become one of those cultural trigger words. I think we all hear people talk about boundaries and it we hear people use incorrectly. Oh, well, I, this is me setting a boundary. So I think first we need to remember that there's a few really important things about boundary. Number one, boundaries are the kindest, most loving thing that you can do. It says, I value myself. I value you. I value this work. I value our relationship. And I want to find a way to protect what that is that we're doing. Boundaries also need to be revisited. They are not a one and done. I'm setting this boundary and, oh, okay, I never have to think about it again. We've all figured it out. It's all great. And finally, and going along with that, you need to uphold your boundary. You have to be the force along that that doesn't waver on the things that you need. So if you're setting a professional boundary, kind of talking along the lines of the workload and the grind that we've been chatting about so far, if I am feeling inundated with meetings and requests and workload, and the boundary is I need an hour in the morning where nobody requests a meeting from me, People are not slacking me or teamsing me. I need to get some focus work done. So the boundary is I'm blocking this time on my calendar. I'm telling my teammates, please don't contact me between 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning. And that is because I need this mental space to get things done. I need time to calibrate myself. I care about our work. And I care about my mental load and I need to have time to evaluate that. And if and when a calendar invite comes on on your 830 time block, 
I am guilty of going, well, that's just my focus time. So it's I'll, only one time. I'll do it once. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'll reduce it. I only need 30 minutes today. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then somebody needs the next 30 minutes. So I guess I just don't need it that day or your lunch block. Okay. Well, I can shift that. I guess I, I'll eat at my desk. And when you're compromising that boundary and or and allowing that to break, you have to hold that strong. And so in your personal relationships, it's the same. I value this friendship or I care about this relationship. But when you say this or when you do this, I don't feel safe. I don't enjoy my time. I feel uncomfortable. I to In order to feel safe and secure around you, I can't talk about these things or I don't want to do these activities and when they come up you have to reaffirm that boundary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's the biggest thing is that a boundary is not just a one-time thing it's also not mental it's something that has to be physically enacted in some capacity and it is only up to us to uphold those boundaries it's not up to anybody else and I think that often it's something where it's a little too overarching an example that comes to mind is just saying to someone a friend whoever I won't let you be mean to me or you can't be mean to me. Maybe that to me is such a loose boundary because instead in a conversation where maybe someone's actively in our opinion being mean and we say, I will not continue this conversation if you won't, if you can't speak to me respectfully. And then if they, you know, step over that boundary, we say, I'm going to end the conversation now. Those are things that are very enforceable the same way that if we put the 830 to 930 focus block on our calendar and all we do all week is complain about how nobody has respected it because everyone keeps putting meetings on that spot. Well, we didn't enforce that boundary. Decline the meeting. Say no, you know, put in there an extra thing. Please do not. I I will not accept meetings during this hour. I mean, we can be as um, as stern about and firm Mm -hmm. with our boundaries because without that actual action step, the boundaries aren't worth anything. Um, I also had a therapist tell me at one point, if someone feels safe enough to tell you no, that's something to celebrate. And I think a lot of the, yeah, and it was relationally. And I'm like, but I would like to never be told no. I would like to only be told yes always. But she said, exactly as you said, if you care enough about a relationship to set boundaries, that means that you would like the relationship to survive. If we don't really care about it, we may not enforce boundaries. And then the end of it is, I don't want to be in a relationship. I don't want to have any interaction with this person any longer. But if we care enough to do the hard thing, which is set the boundary and say, because I care about our relationship, because I care about my work, because I care about wanting to be able to give you 100% in all the other meetings of the day, I will not accept meetings during this hour. I need this time. And I think that that is something that's so important but really does only fall on us to enforce and we can't wonder why everyone's stepping all over our boundaries when we're allowing that so right right. i love that and i love the flip then if i've received a boundary and somebody says hey laria when you bring this up when you try and talk to me about this or when you're scheduling time here when you're requesting things from me in this way i it, it causes me a lot of stress and I feel like I can't get my work done. Can you push those requests until this point? I need to remember exactly that, that they care enough about me, the working relationship that we have or the personal relationship mm-hmm. that we have to protect both of us. Because mm-hmm. 
the end of the push against that is the relationship dissolving. Mm-hmm. And if I don't want that. It is, it's a celebration of, okay, they care about me and our work or our relationship enough to correct the way that I'm overstepping them. Thank you for the boundary. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, mm-hmm. you, that's always hard too when you set, especially a personal boundary. Oh, I'm so, I can't believe I did. Oh my gosh. And then suddenly you feel guilty for setting this boundary. It's just, thanks and move on. Absolutely. And recognizing that as important as it is for us to practice enforcing boundaries, we also get to be on the receiving end of giving someone the exhale when they do the hard thing, which might be have that conversation or set that boundary in showing them what a healthy boundary feels like after you've said it in saying, thank you for valuing our relationship and telling me that and giving both of you that exhale because it is a practice on both sides and allows you as well then to say, that's what I also demand when I set boundaries is that same respect that is received in that way. And it's it's a constant practice. I don't think that it's anything anyone ever masters because it's so interpersonal and it feels difficult and confronting. But the more we practice it, the more natural it becomes and the more readily able we are to be in a space to receive people's boundaries with love. And um, I think that it's just, yeah, it's one of the most important things we can do to maintain ourselves, our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with those around us. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Last question here is you have so many incredible things that have just kind of continued to happen for you and that you've continued to step into and all these amazing opportunities and things that I know I've heard you say, you know, I, I I can't believe I'm here. Like, this is just amazing. This is incredible. How do you combat the feeling that almost always creeps in of like, what if all of this is ripped away from me? Or what if this is taken away? Or what about tomorrow when the pin drops and I wake up from this dream and everything Mm -hmm. is gone? Like, help me walk through that and what are some things that you've used because I have found myself in that even lately and it's it's exhausting to combat that feeling all the time of this is too good and I know it's going to go away. Yes, yes. You are touching on A, my internal dialogue always. <laughs> um but B, this concept of foreboding joy. And this happens when we are experiencing something great. I got this new job. I have a baby or here's this project I'm really proud about. And almost instantaneously, you think, and what if it vanishes? I can remember this so clearly, especially with my daughter when she was brand new, so young, and you're just rocking her in your little arms, looking at her and immediately thinking, the what would I do if I lost her? What would I do if anything ever bad happened to her? And it isn't the form of protection we think it is. Some people frame it as, oh, this is your brain preparing you for the worst case scenario so that when it happens, you're more prepared. No, it's not. It is this internal dialogue of I'm not worth mm-hmm. the beauty that's in front of me. I didn't deserve this happiness. Mm-hmm. And eventually the universe is going to figure it out mm-hmm. and wreck itself. I thought about that when I got this last job. I can't believe they hired me. I went from being so excited to, oh my gosh, when are they going to figure out the biggest mistake they've ever made? And when's it all going to fall out from under me? And that doesn't do any good for anybody. 
so when those happen and they happen often, I sit in that value of who I am and say, no, I know I'm doing everything I can to protect my daughter from what I can protect her from. I know I'm showing up to work and I'm giving 110% and doing my best. And I know I'm making an impact and reframing the nowness mm-hmm. of the feeling that you have is the most important mental gymnastics you can ever try and perform. But foreboding that joy of I'm only going to be happy for a little bit. So let's just jump right to the worst case scenario is never going to be healthy for anybody. No. And I think to your point of I'm I'm protecting and preserving these wonderful things that have come into my life. And I refuse to protect myself from feeling the joy around it. I'm not going to put a wall up there. I mean, at the end of the day, we don't know what's going to happen. And and I can attest, you know, having received a phone call that I'd lost a parent on a day that I did not expect it. There is nothing you can do to prepare yourself for that and foreboding yourself from the joy of those relationships, of that job, of the promotion, of the happy things that are coming into your life does not do any good. In fact, I think if we think back, if something bad does happen, all we wish is we had soaked up those moments more. Um, Mm -hmm. I think another thing that kind of came to mind when you were talking about that, that is kind of another professional buzzword, but I think is applicable in this, in a sense, is that we often feel like imposters just playing a part in our life that isn't really even real or we're we are ourselves, which are flawed and imperfect. And how could I possibly be given this role? So I'm sitting here and I'm like a little kid in a grown up suit and I don't know what I'm doing. But I think I'd love to reframe that too to this this main character energy and recognize that we actually all are the main characters of our lives. And so in those moments, we get to choose mentally whether we will succumb to the imposter and say, I'm just playing a part. This is all going to end and go away. Or I'm the main character in this right now. And I get to determine my perspective. I get to reframe. I get to sit and bask in this and just change my thoughts of what if this gets taken away and instead how lucky I am to have this thing that I don't want to lose. And I think that right there can propel us so far. I I hope everyone listening to this and everyone in my life has a countless list of things that they wouldn't want to lose because their life is so rich and wonderful with people and connections and relationships and opportunity. And so if we sit there and focus on what if this is taken away, what if this list gets shorter, we don't get to sit there and bask in the fact that we have the list to begin with, which is the most beautiful purpose of our lives. Right. And I have recently um, been trying to take pause and you talked about imposter feeling of this imposter syndrome. I've tried to take pause at times that I think I'm experiencing imposter syndrome and actually thinking, am I sitting somewhere that wasn't designed for me? Am Mm -hmm. I sitting somewhere that I've had to push my way into and grow my way into? So it's not actually that a woman is feeling imposter syndrome at work. It is that the workforce was designed for men. How do I a woman now carve my way into this mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like an imposter achieving a high school diploma or a college degree because nobody in your family has? And so you're pushing those boundaries. And it's not that you're an imposter. It's that you deserve to be there more than anybody. And mm-hmm. those experiences of 
I don't belong here mm -hmm. is the system wasn't made for you, but you deserve to be there. Absolutely. And almost I didn't have the representation and I'm not an imposter. I am becoming the representation. I think that right there is the purpose. That's the point. Mm -hmm. If something feels scary and unfamiliar, do it. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you may become that representation that so many people after you that are using you as that mentor or that person that they look up to if if you hadn't done it maybe they wouldn't follow in those footsteps as well and um i think there's another kind of um i had a a, a health coach um kelsey she was on our last episode and she's so incredible and she did say that there are also times where society creates a blueprint or they write a book that we're supposed to follow and there may be times that as you're making your way through that book, you realize you're reading a book that was written for someone else. And so there's mm -hmm. also a time where there's a difference, I think, between feeling like you're an imposter and almost having intuition that this story was not written for me. And I'm on every single page and I'm making my way to the next chapter and something just feels like I'm shackled to it. And I think that could be not going to college saying, I don't have the representation. I haven't seen anyone in my family do this. This was not made for me. But deep, deep down, you feel this like longing and this ache to take that step forward. And sometimes starting your own creation of the story that was made for you is getting out of the one that you feel was written for you and this blueprint that does not, that has everyone else's fingerprints all over it, but yours. And so I think that there's such a, a juxtaposition almost of listening to yourself and following your heart and figuring out where it is that you're meant to be. And sometimes that's so incredibly uncomfortable to be oh, writing this new story or reading this new blueprint. But the, at the end of the day, again, we are all so valuable and so worthy of paving any path that feels as though it's been set at our feet and creating paths that maybe aren't there yet. And I think it's just a wonderful kind of um, summarization of our conversation is just it's up to us. We hold the pen. We deserve to be here. We are worthy. We are going to have moments of lows where we will sit in that discomfort and things will be taken from us and that list will get smaller. And then there will be these moments that we have got to rejoice in the joy of having something handed to us that we don't feel worthy of and soaking up every last bit of, of happiness that that delivers. Right. Absolutely. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. And then who are you taking along for the ride with you? Yes. You know, it's not just a, there's no I in team. So if you're rising, who's rising with you? And who do you want to look over at when you have those lows and you say, how are we going to get to tomorrow? And who do you look at when you have the highs and you say, holy cow, we made it to tomorrow. I think those people that we choose are the most crucial part of our journey because it is, it is a lonely view from the top if you're there alone. And it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. If you're looking around and you don't have anyone to share it with, I think that sometimes that's even harder than navigating the lows by yourself. If you have a really high high and you have your phone in your hand and there's no one to call and there's nobody that you've chosen to share because maybe you've forebode joy from yourself in sharing the accomplishments. I think it's, you know, there is nothing to me that is too small to be celebrated. In fact, as I've grown into adulthood, I have learned that life is a, a series of a lot of sadness and grief and hardships and um, unexpected turmoil and pain. And I think that any time we're given the opportunity to celebrate joy and feel gladness and feel happy about anything, we have got to take it and just celebrate it to our heart's content with the people we love. I hear you. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I'm kind of going to put you on the spot here, but I would love to know if you have any last words or the first thing that comes to mind that you would like to set the intention for our listeners as we close out this conversation. What? If I were to leave with something, the immeasurable value that you are and that surrounds you is your most important asset. Guarding your time, guarding yourself with your boundaries and lifting people around you is one of my strongest intentions for this year and what I would encourage everybody to do. I love that. Mic drop. Ah. Our work here is done. I appreciate you so much, Laria. And I know our listeners will be so thankful to have had this little conversation with us. I feel as though everyone was just sitting around the table with us and it was the best, just best conversation. So thank you so much for being here and sharing some of your wisdom and we're excited to have you back on again. Thank you. Cannot wait. Thank you for having me. Yes. Is it still recording? Hi!